Good morning, everyone. It is good to see some of you here. Some of you I've not seen for a while. It's good to see you back, familiar faces. Some of you I don't know that I've ever seen you here. It's great to see you here. I'm looking at you. Good to see you here. Hey, um, we are in week 26 of Core 52. Do you know what that means? Half of 52 is 26. We are halfway through 52 weeks of biblical core messages that we've been going through. I've loved every bit of it so far. I'm looking ahead, and there's some great topics out there. Uh, Tom is going to preach next week on the gospel, and then we're going to be preaching on rest. Who doesn't like to hear about rest? It's going to be a good one as well. Um, We've got some great speakers lined up. I'm going to be in Israel. Rob Muncy is going to be preaching. Andy Fish is going to be preaching while I'm gone. So two great communicators. It's going to be good. And then I'm back, and we're we're going to knock Core 52 out before we know it. Today we're talking about mission. I don't know what comes into your mind when you talk, when you think about mission. For me, I think about a trip I took when I was a high schooler with my youth group. Um, any of you guys take some mission trips as kids in your churches? Uh, if you're a business owner, maybe you have a mission statement that sort of drives the direction of your business and what you want to accomplish. Uh, if you're of a certain age, you may remember a certain theme song and a little cassette that would self-destruct after you played it that began like this, your mission Should you choose to accept it, we've got a certain number of people here of a certain age. We won't go deep into that. Some of our guys have some military experience, and when they think of mission, they think of maybe a slightly different picture than than the rest of us do. I'm going to invite one of our uh, young men here at Sherwood Oaks Bedford. His name is Thomas Lee. There's a picture of him right up here on the screen. Good-looking kid. Uh, I would feel very comfortable in trusting the security of the nation to that guy right up there. And I am very comfortable uh, in trusting the security of our church to this guy right here. Uh, Thomas is on our security team along with several other guys. If you ever worry about what's happening and how safe you are while you're here, this guy right here has it under control. Not sure if that should comfort you. (laughs) Thomas, thank you for being with us this morning. You got a background in military? A little bit. So tell, what branch did you serve in? Uh, I was in the Marine Corps for five and a half years. You did some cool stuff when you were in the Marine Corps. We'll call it that. No, uh, (laughs) I was uh, security with um, HMX-1, which is the Presidential Helicopter Squadron. So I uh, was able to serve under both President Obama and President Trump. we flew both of those, the vice presidents, uh, their families, the Pope once, which got, is pretty cool. Listen, he got to um, fly the Pope. Who? Look at that. And then, obviously, foreign dignitaries. I feel like I should kiss your ring. Never mind. Go no, on. No, that's okay. Um, come on, cue me up. Okay, okay. What are, what are we talking about? So on these missions, because we're talking about mission today, I was gonna. I, my initial question to you was, okay, explain to me the different roles um, that the different people on your team will play when it comes to uh, a mission. And you said, first off, that it really sort of depends on the nature of the mission or the task. Is that correct? Yes. So, um, obviously, with presidential travel, um, some places are really fun for them to go to. It's a retreat, and some places are um, more dangerous. They're going to a summit, a foreign country. Um, you know, uh, they're going to go speak in a 
you know, possibly recently war-torn nation, yeah. uh, bad actors. And so sometimes the trips were more of a vacation, and, you know, certain people would go on those. And then um, other times it was, hey, uh, we're bringing extra gear and kit, so you guys are going on those. And usually I was the one going on those. But, um, yeah. so yeah, it just depended on uh, who we needed. Um, the, the basic... Uh, framework was the same. You had a, a leader, the trip security officer, who was a, a higher enlisted or officer who took the trip out, made the decisions, and said, hey, this is what we expect. And then directly under him, his assistant uh, team leader would be the NCOIC, which is the non-commissioned officer in charge, as a corporal or a sergeant, and they would do basically everything else. So they would set up the, the schedule, um, check out weapons, make sure everybody had their gear, all their stuff was set up. Um, and then Below them, you'd have just what we called the post standards, or just the, the regular working guys. And within the, that group, you would have um, you know, Navy corpsmen or medics. Um, and then you would have uh, basically trained guys. You'd have guys with special skill sets, like um, marksman observer, which is like a, a light form of uh, sniper, and uh, breachers, uh, stuff like that. So everybody had a very specialized skill set that they would Okay, just, just between me and you, who was the most important person on that team? I'm going to use the, the good line I had last time. Uh, the, the most important guy is the guy that's there when he's needed. Um, you, you can break it down, and I'm going to do the same thing I did last time too, but uh, I always forget about the ceremonial guard. That's the guy that gets to look pretty, you know, be a pretty face for five minutes. Um, that's the one you see on TV that's actually saluting the president um, in that scene. And some people would say they're the most important, but the reality is, is the guy that's, that's there when he's needed. Uh, I like that answer, the guy that shows up and says, when they're needed, they're in position yeah, to do I'm what they're here. called today. You know, already preset, yeah. already trained, ready to go, and they're they're there. Thomas, thank you for your service. Thank you to the nation and to our church. I don't know what to say. Next, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> you say you're welcome. Yeah. Welcome. Yeah. No, thanks. Thank everybody. you. I appreciate that. Thank you, Thomas. I do. I do appreciate Thomas. He is a. He's one. He's just a nice guy. You know, who doesn't like nice people? Um, he's very humble and uh, just willing to serve in whatever capacity. And, and, you know, sometimes you get these military types that are all much. And Thomas, not that he's not manly, but, but, he's, but he's, just, he's just normal, you know. And I really, I really like it. I have big plans for Thomas. Don't tell him, but I do. Here's what uh, I hope that conversation was enlightening to you. Um, Here's what it reminds me is that life is, is really about mission. And I think there's a reason for that. It's because God himself is on mission. And he invites us to join him in his mission if you choose to accept it. That's the big question, isn't it? So today we're going to talk about what that looks like right here at Sherwood Oaks Bedford. Um, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, and I will pray and we'll dig in. Father, this morning I thank you for guys like Thomas who serve in whatever capacity that you ask them to serve. We, may we be more like that, willing and available and eager to respond in, in moments and with opportunities um, that you present to us to say, here am I, Lord, use me, send me, um, I am... I am wholly available to you and your purpose and your mission. As we unpack your, your word today and look at, at your mission, we pray that our hearts would respond in eager obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So Matthew 28, many of you who grew up in church or have heard lots of sermons will know kind of what the picture is around Matthew 28, but it's Jesus sort of wrapping up his earthly ministry. He's just got a few more opportunities with his guys, and, and this is one of the last things he says to them. In fact, in Matthew, it's, it's basically it, and here's what he says, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the end of the age. We know that passage as the great commission. Is, has everyone, everyone heard of this term, the great commission? If you haven't, I'm telling you now, that's a term you will hear in church and Christian circles. It's a great commission. It's basically Jesus saying, here's the mission I'm putting in front of you. But this is what I find fascinating. That mission, that commission did not begin there with Jesus at the end of his earthly ministries. That commission actually goes way, way, way back to the beginning. So, so I'm sort of backwards from you guys. If I were to pick one side of the stage to be the, the beginning of time and one side of the stage to be the end of time, which side would I go to, to the beginning of time? Anyone? Over here? Over here. Okay. So we're going we're gonna to go back. Are you following me? If this was a movie, the calendar pages would be flipping backwards at this point. Got it? You picturing it? Picturing it? And now here we are. We're back at the beginning. We're actually in the Garden of Eden. God has created everything. He's the sun, the moon, the planets, the trees, the fish, the cows, the giraffes, everything. He's finally got to man. And he creates man. And here's what he says in Genesis 1:28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Now, when you hear the word subdue, I know a lot of you are thinking, oh, wow, mm, that's sort of rough. But you're thinking in terms of post-curse, post where everything went bad, everything went south. When God gives this command to Adam and Eve, it's when everything is perfect. Everything is great. And God says, and he still says, I want you to fill the earth and subdue it. So what does he mean? Very simply, this is not a command to violently exploit nature and all its resources. Instead, it is a command to, to walk into every area with the intention to bring God's rule and order into it. The, worth, the earth began in chaos, and there's still a little bit of crazy, it seems like, there. And God says, Adam and Eve, your job is to create order out of this, to maintain and, and every step you take to bring my purpose and plan into existence right here in the garden. Now, we know how that ended up. It didn't, it didn't end up great. But God didn't give up on his mission. Not at all. If we follow a little further into history, we come to a man named Abraham. And God gives his command to Abraham as well, and it's a command and a promise. He says, here's, here's the deal. If you, if you walk with me, I'm going to bless you. And he says, and through your offspring, this is in Genesis 22, verse 18, through your offspring, all nations 
on earth will be blessed. We've gone from, from Adam, and there's no nations then. It's just the earth. Go fill and subdue it. To Abraham. Now we have some people. We have some nations forming, and, and Abraham uh, is told by God, listen, your generation, your offspring, will be a blessing to all the nations because of your obedience. I love that. That commission that God gave Adam is continued on through Abraham. And God continues it on through the people of Israel with some positive and negative experiences till he gets to David. David is the second king of Israel. And, and, and God saw David out there in the hillside taking care of his sheep. And God said, there's a young man who has my heart and my passion and my mind. And I think I, I can trust him with my mission. And so at David's coronation, this psalm, Psalm 2, is read. And I believe David wrote Psalm 2 because of something God told him out there on the hills while he was taking care of sheep. Here's what Psalm 2, verse 8 says. The Lord said to me, today you are my son. Today I have invested all of my, all of my um, intentions onto you. Today I have begotten you. I've created you for this moment. And so God says to David, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage. Do you see that little picture there from Abraham to David? I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Again, not with the intention of violently extorting the, the, the wealth of the nations, but to take God's blessing to them. Now, again, we see David and even subsequent kings sort of struggle, that's to put it nicely. They struggle to fulfill God's divine charge. In fact, it was very often the, the kings who were entrusted with the charge who actually did the opposite. They led the people of Israel further and further away from God. So then a prophet arises, king, he's just a man, but, but he hears God's voice and his mandate is to hear it and then give it out to the people. And so Isaiah hears God say to him, and he writes down what God tells him to write down. And in Isaiah, Isaiah promises a true and righteous king through whom all the nations will be brought into this perfect relationship with God. The true and righteous king, now we're at this point in time, we can start to look back and go, the true and righteous king was Jesus. Jesus is, the, is, the, is, is finally the one that can take the mission of God and actually fulfill it, and he does. But notice this. Jesus is on mission as well. And Jesus said his mission was this. I have come so that they may have life. Jesus is on mission. And now Jesus invites us to join him on mission. This morning, you're in a building called Sherwood Oaks. Sherwood Oaks has a campus right here in Bedford. Sherwood Oaks Bedford is on mission as well. Today, you got a treat. You don't just get to hear me, which is always a treat, but you get to hear from Sean Green. Sean was campus pastor down here for several years. And Sean is going to share with us a little bit about the vision moving forward with Sherwood Oaks. It began several years ago. We have been through a very important season of transition in Sherwood Oaks leadership. We had our senior pastor retire, Tom Ellsworth, who, by the way, is going to be here next week to preach. So make plans to be here. You are going to love Tom as much as I do. 
But Tom retired, and Sean, who was campus pastor here, took on that role of senior leadership. And transitions are challenging. And so our elders, well, I'm going to let Sean describe all of that. Can we watch the video? Two years ago, our elders went to a retreat to pray and seek the Lord's direction for the future of our church. The clear message coming out of that weekend was pause and pray. We were convicted by a line in the book, Forgotten Power. In it, the author David Butts writes that if this is your church, you better hurry up and start. If this is Jesus' church, you better slow down and listen. And so coming out of our retreat, that's what we decided to do. For the next year, we committed to slow down and listen. We didn't want to be one step in front of God, but we also didn't want to be one step behind him. We wanted to walk right in step with him. And so instead of creating new ministries and programs and moving full steam ahead, we committed as a church to a season of prayer in the midst of a season of transition, to slow down and to listen for the voice and the direction of the Lord. That was the end of February 2020. And three weeks later, uh, the world shut down due to COVID. And we began to see the wisdom of where God was leading us. And so while we waited, there was still work to be done. Uh, we launched several new initiatives during those first few months of COVID. Our church went through a major leadership transition. We revamped and refocused many of our ministries. Uh, and we are now about ready to launch our West Campus off to become a new self-governing church body. Beautiful things are happening in and through Sherwood Oaks, and we are so encouraged to see all the ways that God is moving and the life transformation that is happening across all of our campuses. But the question remains in, in my heart, and I know the heart of so many people who call Sherwood Oaks home. What's next for this church that we love so much? Where is the Lord leading us as we move into the future? And after a season of waiting and watching, uh, listening and praying, we are convinced that the Lord is leading us to be a church that is unleashed with the love of Jesus to make an eternal difference in the lives of at-risk people. We believe that God is sending us out into his world, just like he sent Jesus to meet people where they are, He's sending us out into our homes and neighborhoods, our, our schools and places of work to love others and to be an extension of his mercy and grace to those who are broken and hurting, who, who feel beaten up and, and just shattered by this world. We want to serve others with the passion of Christ and invite them to find and to follow Jesus with us. You know, the truth is, is that as our culture changes, people will no longer come to us the way that they used to. And that means that we must go to them. But that's exactly what Jesus intended all along. He sent us out on a rescue mission in this world to, to share his love and to teach others about him. And the greatest way that we can participate in this mission is by serving others the way that Jesus served and loving others the way that Jesus loves us. And to be a church like this is going to require all of us using our gifts, whatever they might be, to serve. And to serve not just in the walls of our church, though, though that's important and certainly needed, but to also serve in our communities and around the world. To think like everyday missionaries who view their mission field as, as wherever they happen to find their feet. And so as we move into the future of our church, we are focusing our efforts on servant multiplication and targeted transformation. We want to help everyone at Sherwood Oaks find their gift and a place to serve 
because we know that our faith comes to life when we serve others in meaningful ways. Our mission is too important to just be standing on the sidelines or sitting in the pews. Eternity is at stake for people. And so we want to help everyone at Sherwood Oaks find a place to serve and use their gift to make an eternal difference in the lives of others. We want to increase our partnerships with local and global organizations who are coming alongside of at-risk people. We want to serve those who are spiritually at risk, tearing down barriers that people have to Jesus, physically at risk, crossing every socioeconomic divide to care for people and to work for their good, believing that each person has dignity and value in the Lord. We want to serve those who are emotionally at risk, going to any length necessary to give hope to the hopeless and freedom to those who are held captive by their hurts, their hang-ups, or their habits. After two years of praying and listening and then <laughs> praying some more, we are convinced that this is the direction for Sherwood Oaks, mobilizing the church to serve others and to help them find and follow Jesus. And so we're building ministry plans and strategies that are going to help us become this kind of church like never before. And in this, we will raise up disciples who love and serve like Jesus, living out their faith and using their gifts to help others know, love, and follow him. We will be a church of people helping people grow generations of Christ-led influencers. Sherwood Oaks, the Lord has great things in store for our future. The things that we can't even imagine right now. And I can't wait to see where he takes us next. I tell you, I love Sean. I love his heart. I love what he started right here at our campus. One of the things that I love to say and remind people is that God is not calling Sherwood Oaks Bedford to be the best church in this community. God is calling us to be the best church for our community. And that distinction changes everything we do and the way we think about what we do. Sherwood Oaks is on mission. Now, that doesn't mean that we're the only church here in the community on mission. I've got some wonderful pastor friends in our church, and they're, they're on mission as well. But, but I love what, how Thomas described uh, the various roles and functions of the team, the mission team. They all had a certain unique distinction in their role, and I believe that's true for the churches in our community as well. We are not going to be Bedford uh, First Baptist or the Free Methodist Church. We're not going to be Mount Pleasant because they're doing what God has called them to do. We're going to be distinctly Sherwood Oaks, Bedford. But that doesn't mean we're not on mission. We are absolutely on mission. Matthew 28, 18 says, we got to go and we got to make disciples. Go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. Those are all things that we are absolutely going to do. But you know what we're doing? We're, we're defining that in, in a way that's uniquely us. If you walk down the hallway here, you'll see some, some, uh, some, some pictures. And on those pictures are some words. And those words mean something. One of the, one of the mission statements that we have posted there is, is sort of our overall vision of who we are called to be by God. Maybe you've heard us say this phrase. Sean just said it here. At Sherwood Oaks Bedford, we want to be people helping people grow generations of Christ-led influencers. 
And that simply means that it's not just my job to grow generations of Christ-led influencers. It's, it's all our jobs. We are all people, and God calls us all to help others become Christ-led influencers, people who will go back from this gathering and make a difference in the worlds that they live in, influencing their worlds and their connections towards Jesus. Ultimately, our goal is, is not just to get people saved. Our goal is to, is to send transformed people by Jesus back out into our families and our workplaces, our schools, and to use our story of redemption to impact the redemptive story God is telling in other people's lives as well. Now, that means that we have certain values that lead us as we walk through and towards this mission. You see some signs out here. One of those, the big one is living like God owns everything. We live like God owns everything. And that simply means that, that we recognize that all we have is his to use. We mentor across generations. That simply means that everyone that God brings into our lives is, is valuable. We don't dismiss anyone because they don't fit the demographic that, that we feel comfortable with. The old people don't get to dismiss the young people, and the young people don't get to roll their eyes at the old people. No, that's not how it works in the kingdom of God. We all learn and grow from each other. One of the one of the values that I have this year is I want to see at 11 o'clock our classrooms fully staffed. That means that some people in this room need to say, I'm willing to help with kids to make that happen. Last week we talked about those little babies in the nursery have an angel before the throne of God who sees the face of God. And so if you want to hang out with angels, you might want to say, hey, I can hold a baby. I can rock a baby in the nursery and hang out with angels while I'm doing it. We mentor across generations. Kids matter to us. Old people matter to us. You, wherever you're at, matter to us. We think like everyday missionaries. Every person and opportunity that we come in contact with has the potential to be invited in and leveraged for God's kingdom. We tell life-changing faith stories. The way we encourage other people to join us in mission is to tell them how we were invited to join in God's mission. And then we create fun and refreshing experiences. I, I hope that we create, I have fun on Sunday morning, I don't know about you, but uh, I hope that Sunday morning is a refreshing experience for you. No one who came to Jesus left drained. He refreshed and changed their lives for the better. And we want Sunday mornings to be that for others as well. We want us individually to be that for others as well. And so we have our mission statement, we have our, our values that sort of lead us and, and give sort of some, some, some guardrails to, to how we express that. And then we have specifically some targeted people groups. And when I say targeted, I don't mean that we're out there with a, with a gun. We're out there with an intention and a heart. And so Sean mentioned these, our three, our three people groups that we are we are. We want to lean into, and that's the spiritually at risk. We have many people in our community who are completely detached from God. So our strategy is twofold. Our first strategy is you. You are our first strategy. One of our values is this. We think like everyday missionaries, and we tell life-changing faith stories. That's something only you really can do. 
You are our primary strategy to reach the community at large of spiritually at-risk people. They're not just going to show up. They're going to show up when they have a connection and a relationship with you. One of our things that we're doing to help that, however, is that our women's ministry is offering a come-as-you-are breakfast to anyone in the community who feels disconnected from, from relationship. And they're going to they're gonna create an opportunity for women who are, are looking for relational opportunities to get together and share their story with our story and introduce them to Jesus. And then our men's breakfast, we just had one yesterday. You know, about 10 guys showed up, but that's an opportunity every first Saturday to show up and engage with some guys. So if you're feeling disconnected from relationships here, look for those opportunities and be intentional about saying yes to them because they're there for that purpose. But Sunday morning is also a strategy. You are a strategy and Sunday morning is a strategy. When you show up, (laughs) knowing that Sunday morning is a strategy to fulfill the mission God gave us, you show up with the understanding that you are on mission right here. It's not just a place to grab a cup of coffee and sit down and drink and wait for things to happen. But when you walk through the doors, you are on mission. The hair on your back of your neck should stand up just in anticipation for who God is going to bring into your life, what conversations you're going to have, who you're going to meet that you didn't know before. We live in a culture, unfortunately, that is, finds it easier to disengage than to engage. And so when we come together on mission, part of that is being very intentional about engaging. Go up to someone you don't know. Come early and talk. Stay a little bit late and talk with people. Get to know each other. Hang out. I really do believe that, uh, that those who have no one and leave having met no one, we only drive deeper and deeper and deeper wedges between them and an ultimate relationship with Jesus. So it's very important. It's very important that we understand that on Sunday morning, we are not just here for us, We are here for others. Come early, stay a little late, and engage relation with people. So we, our strategy is to to address and meet the needs of the spiritually at risk. The second is the physically at risk. This is a, maybe an overlapping demographic, but, but there are many ways that we are doing that already in caring for the physically at risk in our community, our men's warming shelter. Uh, where we are helping provide for men a place to sleep, something to eat, some medical assistance, and even some financial assistance that they may be eligible for. Some of our people are involved in the CASA program. CASA is coming alongside uh, children who have been removed from their homes and being a legal advocate for, uh, advocate for them in the judicial system, in the legal system, that oftentimes really overlooks them. And to say, hey, you've got someone on your side, an adult who is speaking up for you in, a, in, in the judge's chambers or in the courtroom when no one else is going to speak for you. A CASA will speak for these kids that are in a very vulnerable position. We've got a ministry that we're just sort of getting off the, off the ground called Hands of Hope. And those, that, that ministry goes alongside foster families who said, we recognize what you do. We recognize the sacrifices you make, the investment you're making in the lives of these children that are not your own. And yet you do it. So how can we help you? 
How can we fix a meal? How can we mow a yard, clean out a gutter, do some babysitting, run an errand? How can we be a blessing to the foster families in our community? That's how we serve those who are physically at risk. And then there's, there's the emotionally at risk. We just finished up a, a four-week four uh, training with about five people in our, in our church. Uh, and they were trained on how to be peer-to-peer counselors. Now, again, these are people who just said, hey, I want to be available to come alongside someone who's going through a rough patch. And maybe it's someone um, that's going through something that's similar to what I've gone through. And I feel like I can be an encouragement to them as they, as they deal with a habit or a hang-up, something that's just, just messing with them or just a heartache that they're, that they're working through. Let me just tell you a little story. I don't, I don't know what time it is, but this is a worthwhile story. So Tony Ledford, who just had the stroke not too long ago, Tony was part of our peer-to-peer counseling training group. And um, in the middle of a stroke, he sort of had to drop out. But what, we caught him back up. And, and uh, the other day, I was, I was down at the, at the men's warming shelter, and there was a young man sitting off to the side. I went over and engaged him in conversation. And he he really let me know pretty quickly that he wasn't that interested in what I had to say. He didn't really trust preachers. He didn't really trust counselors. When I said, is there someone you want to talk to? He goes, there's no one I trust that I'm willing to tell my story to. And that just breaks my heart because I feel like if anyone should be able to be trusted, it's, it's people of faith. And yet something had happened that had just broken that. So I said, okay, and I, man, he just weighed on my heart. Just, I, I would go to sleep thinking about him. I'd wake up and I'd go, wow, what can we do? So last Sunday morning, I walk in, and Tony Ledford is sitting there in the chair. I said, hey, Tony, I know you've got a connection with the guys at the shelter. Do you know this young man? And I explained who it was. He goes, yeah, yeah, I know him. I said, uh, I told him a little bit about my conversation. I said, um, is there any chance that you might be able to just offer yourself to him. You've done the training. This could be a God thing. He goes, you know, it's really interesting because um, he's one of the few guys down there that, that, that really I've talked to and he's talked back. I'm one of the few that he's really responded to. And I said, okay, well, that sounds like it's a, it's a match made in heaven already. So I said, this week, if you get a chance, he goes, okay, I'm going to try. I'm going to try. So I talked to him this morning. He goes, I, I just want you to know that I, that I had a conversation with him. I said, that's great. He goes, let me tell you the whole story. Thursday, I, uh, I, was, I knew I was going to go. I was like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I just want just to hang out. It's been a long week. And he said, and I basically told myself, you're not going to go tonight. You'll do it. You'll do it. You'll, it'll happen at some point. He goes, about 15 minutes before I was supposed to be there. It's like God said so clearly to me, Tony, this is not about you tonight. This is about this other young man. So Tony's like, oh, okay, okay. So he says, I went in and I had my Bible and I just, you know, I thought, you know what? Whatever's going to happen, it's going to be God. It's not going to be me. So he says, I went over and I sat on one of the sofas there on the side. He said, I opened my Bible up and I was reading and lo and behold, who sits down next to me but this young man who doesn't want to talk to anybody. And so he and Tony started having a conversation. Tony shared a little bit about what it was, but he said the ultimate, the gist is this, that I was able to say, hey, you're not alone, and here's some things that might be helpful for you, which is exactly what a peer-to-peer counselor does. And Tony got to use that skill set. But what was the amazing thing? He said, I didn't want to go. I wasn't going to put any effort into it. And still, God said, you went? 
I'm going to do the rest of the work. And Tony said, I didn't do anything. I didn't approach the guy. He came and talked to me. I love that picture of how God works in our lives. I, I firmly believe that if we make ourselves available with a willing heart <laughs> and even a somewhat hesitant heart at times, God will say, okay, I can trust you with my mission. If we continue to say, no, I don't think, no, 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 I'm not going to do it. No, I'm not going to put it off. I think God eventually says, okay, I'm going to give that mission to someone else. And you miss out on the blessing. If Tony hadn't showed up, he would have missed that blessing. That answer to prayer there. There's many ways when you think about the physically at risk, the spiritually at risk, the emotionally at risk, those circles like some sort of Venn diagram. There's lots of overlap between those things. But all of them are opportunities for us to share our story with others. There's opportunities that just abound to share the good news, the good news that God loves us and that Jesus has done what it takes to make us his sons and daughters. And that is ultimately the father's mission that he gave to Adam. It was a father's mission. It's Jesus's mission. It's the Holy Spirit's mission. He indwells us so that we can do what God has asked us to do. It's the church's mission. It's my mission and it's, it's your mission. So as we time, come to this uh, time of communion, I, I think that's what we have to remember, that it's our mission. But the beautiful thing, and what the cup and the bread remind us of, is that we are not alone. It is our mission, but it is also a co-mission. We don't do it alone. We don't need to be nervous or anxious about stepping up and saying yes to whatever God brings into our lives. If our heart leans towards working with foster families or foster kids, then God says, say yes, because I'm gonna go with you and help you do that. If your heart leans towards sharing the gospel with young kids and just loving on them, many of them coming from places that are just rough, God says, hey, Talk to Heather about helping out, sharing the good news with these young kids in our Sunday school classes. If your heart really breaks for young moms who just are overwhelmed with stuff anyway, then say yes to helping with Embrace Grace. If your heart is tugged every time you see a, a guy standing on a street corner or just sort of in despair, then say yes to engaging with the men's warming shelter or another opportunity here in town. I'm telling you, God promises to go with you in each of those settings, each of those places. If you want to say, hey, I'm willing to let my story be used to be helpful to someone else and, and for six to eight weeks or four to five weeks, come alongside them and say, hey, let me just tell you what happened to me and how God helped me get through this thing and you know lessons that I learned through it then you would be an ideal candidate to become a peer-to-peer -peer counselor. Talk to me about how to do that. I would be happy and thrilled to have 30 peer-to-peer -peer counselors in our congregation. I believe, and I found this to be true, that when we're saying yes and we're responding in obedience, Jesus just gives more and more opportunities to us. When we shut him down, eventually he says, okay, I'm going to move on. 
I'm not, I'm not abandoning you, but, uh, but I'm not going to entrust other beloved souls to people who won't say yes to the opportunity to care for them. So, say yes. And remember, you are not alone. We don't go it alone. He is with us even to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I look around our community and I see so many opportunities where we could say yes, where you have opportunities just lined up and waiting for us to say yes. But fear and a sense of worthlessness, a sense of our own failures, a sense of our own problems can make us go, I don't know that I'm the right person. Today, as we take the cup and the bread, this is a reminder that you died, you gave your life so that our righteousness no longer is the determining factor of whether you love us and can use us. It's the righteousness of Jesus. Father, we don't do this glibly. We ask you to examine our hearts. We never want to approach your table thoughtlessly or casually but we do want to approach it with confidence that the invitation was extended to us far before we were perfect. And you will use us many, 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 many times before we get to perfection. And in the meantime, we pull our table, our chair up to this table that you have prepared. We say thank you for inviting us. And now, Lord, please use us. Father, I pray for my friends who need you, who are far from you spiritually. I pray for kids who need someone to step up and be an adult in their lives. I pray for those who are just hurting and hopeless, who need a friend to come alongside and be Jesus to them. As we take the bread and we take the cup, we say, here am I, Lord. Use me. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.